0: Blueprint Church, bless the Lord. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you for allowing me once again to stand before you. Thank you for the atmosphere being prepared through the, the, the praise and worship of the saints through song. Uh, thank you for declaring Hosanna in the highest. The Lord Jesus said, if we won't do it, he has some rocks that will. <laughs> uh, and as the song says ain't no rock going cry in my place <laughs> as long as i'm alive i'll glorify his holy name and i pray that that's what you're doing here this morning uh the world is going to hell in a handbasket <clears throat> Uh, But if you are in Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed, snatched out of, off the conveyor belt that's taking people away from God. And you've been placed in Christ, who is the ultimate bomb shelter. It's a shelter that is so powerful that it can withstand the outpouring of the wrath of God. The Bible makes clear that wrath is poured out no matter what your ungodliness is. It says on all unrighteousness, the kind that's resident in people who suppress truth because of their unrighteous determinations, but we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we're inside of the one who took the wrath of God in our place. And so I just want to say this morning, I just thank God that he is the one that we're lifting up this morning. And so if I'm gonna pray, ask for the Lord's help and then dive in. Bless you. Heavenly Father, I uh, need you, need you. I feel that I feel I feel the weight of this moment, and I pray that your people will engage this moment, knowing that somebody in here is not in Christ. Somebody needs to know what the big fuss is about. And if we don't look like there is much of a fuss. They will not look like there is much of a fuss. But you know how to cut through any uh, room. And you know how to convey the the glory of your son through the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that that's what will happen. That someone will see the Lord Jesus say, I want to be on his side, not the opposite side. In Jesus' name we're praying, amen. Every now and then. Nothing is probably more comical than to see those commercials that try to sell you on the benefits of something, some sort of medication, some sort of drug, some sort of something something that you need, and tell you all confidently, tell you all crystal clearly what those drugs or what that product will do for you. And then... They transition to a smooth, soft, quiet voice at rapid speed like you're at an auction as they run through a list of potential downsides called side effects. <laughs> this could be causing hallucinations and death. Pregnant women shouldn't use this. Don't drive. You too could be a double person and you can talk to yourself at night. Yeah. And they go through and they, they, it's almost like they don't want you to know that there are some things to be warned about. Well, they know that some people will be scared off if you present them warnings. Our text today gives us some bewares, some warnings. And John doesn't speed up or get quiet about it in no uncertain terms in very stark language. The Apostle John, continuing in this letter, First John, he tells people that there's some things to beware of. This is a warning. This is a warning. The text was already read, so what I want to do is I want to begin to walk through some of the bewares, some of the warnings. The first one we see in this text in chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, we see beware of worldliness. Yeah, I said it, worldliness. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the the love of the Father is not in him or her. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Beware. Now I said beware of worldliness because we may not understand what it means to not love the world. So let's start walking through this. John is teaching this congregation that they are not to set their affections, that they are not to be enamored with The world, the world, those around them. There is an incompatibility with the Christian and what the Bible calls the world. This is a fundamental Christian doctrine even though we don't hear it much anymore. It seems like it's MIA, the Christian not being Of the world (laughs) the world six times it shows up in just these two verses so we need to understand what the world is John could talk about the world talking about just the created universe the Bible says John 1 10 that through him the world was made Again, verse 3 of that same uh, John chapter 1, the gospel, it said, without him nothing was made that has been made. And according to Genesis 1 and 2, everything he made, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, got to you and me and said, it is very good. So the world that he created is good in its essence, even though it's fallen from its ideal state. Well... The world of human persons. He also uses the world to talk about human persons. Just the world of people. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. 1 John two two Earlier. He's the propitiation for our sins. But not just our sins. But the sins of the world. The realm of people. <laughs> well. There's another way that the Bible talks about world. And it's a negative connotation. It's a negative connotation. It's a complexed organized system a way of doing things a way of seeing things a way of living and orienting one's life and at its core it shares one thing in in common it is opposed to God now again this is one of those where you would just zip past it lest people get frightened by this warning but let's turn up. No, it says that the world is at its core, the world because it is opposed to God. It's not opposed to religion. We see religion early on as God told Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, bring me an offering. Religion was popping in Genesis early on. We see it in Genesis 11 when they were building a tower up to Babel. That tower is the word for a tower where religious practices used to, to take place. They said let's build a tower to the heavens. They wanted to connect with God supposedly but God smashed it because it really was religious but it wasn't rightly related to him the world is not opposed to spirituality people said I don't want churchianity I don't want religion but I am spiritual not opposed to morality and ethics Some of the people who hate God most are some of the best people. Some of the people who dislike the Bible, dislike Christians, dislike when God is brought to bear on a circumstance. Those are the people who will actually cut your lawn for you, leave you a bouquet, bring you chicken soup when you're sick. They'll be the ones that let you hop them in a line. Oh, the Bible is full of people who like morality and spirituality and religiosity, but the Bible would say they're opposed to God. You say, no, 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 I don't see where you get that. How about later on in John 4, 1 John 4, 5 to 6? They are of the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He sets God's people and those who belong to God on the opposite side of what he calls the world. I still don't get it. He says that the ones on the opposite side are under Satan. They have a different God. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at this sermon series. Blame the apostle. And the apostle would say, I didn't write it. I wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that said this. It's opposed to God, but even more so opposed to Jesus, the one whom God sent as his perfect representative. John 7, 7, Jesus, he had healed the sick. Jesus, he feeds people. Jesus, he has great teaching. Jesus, he was kind to sinners. Jesus, he will forgive those who put him on the cross. And yet he says this in John 7, 7, to his brothers, the world can't hate you. Looked at his brothers. His brothers didn't believe in him at the time. He said, the world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Acts 4, 26, after Jesus ascends and his apostles do what Jesus did and keep Jesus' name in the stream, they end up in a prayer meeting saying, quoting Psalm 2, The kings of the earth set themselves against, and the rulers, they're gathered together against you, Lord, and your anointed. Against you, Father, and your Mashiach, and your Christos, and your Christ. In other words, the world is the realm of human existence, puppeted by Satan, that's decided to do life on God's green earth without God. It's what's all around us. Every day, almost every day in almost every way, you're going to run into the world. It's going to be on what you watch. The world is going to meet you front and center in what you listen to. It's what you'll do. Unless you get off the train, you will be on a train where the world just is the norm, the expected norm. My wife and I just got back from Jamaica. and on Jamaica, we went on a trip with everybody else who was in Jamaica that went on that trip. And the DJ put on music as we were traveling to our place. And he just assumed everybody likes music, right? Well, we've got a variety of genres. Reggae dominated. We were in Jamaica. But they had a lot of pop. They had a little rap. They had a little this and a little that. But one common theme, none of it was gospel. (laughs) None of it had Jesus in it. All of it had profanity. All of it was sensual. The world assumes you're on board. That's what's common about the world. Do you do what we do? Come with us. Nobody can do it like we do. God-centeredness? Well, that's not what we do. Religion, yes. Morality, yes. Spirituality, yes. But not God-centered. In the words of John Piper, even Christians sometimes only like God-centeredness so long as they are convinced that God is primarily man-centered, Jesus is Lord, that's not what we do. Jesus a historical figure, heard about him. Church, take it or leave it. The world opposes God, opposes God's anointed, and therefore opposes God's church. And therefore, God has a problem with it. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you know, not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. John says it this way, do not love the world nor the stuff in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This doesn't mean that we go out here and we have a sign, I hate you. This doesn't mean that we set up fences like I wish I wasn't your neighbor This doesn't mean that we find a new planet to go on. This doesn't mean that we have keep out world on our property. It just means that we announce to the world, I look at this world as my (laughs) ex-girl. The girl named world is my ex-girl. I'm no longer in step. I'm no longer in communion. And as Christ becomes more dear to me, I'm no longer in love with her. Oh, the world in a nutshell. He defines it. He says, you know what's the world? You can sum the world up this way. 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. It's not from the father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He says, this, he says, this is the world. Let me sum it up for you. First of all, it's epithumia, <laughs> Greek word that means it's strong passion. That word is generic. Paul would say, I have this strong passion to see your face. I want to be with you. So the passion is not the problem. We were meant to not only feel but feel deeply. All this lackluster stuff. Come on, get rid of it. Get, like, turn up. I know y'all some some people in here last night when the Braves won. I saw what the Braves did. I guess some of us were doing the same thing the Braves were doing the same way. We were turned up. The passion was on a thousand. You win the lottery, the passion, the epithumia will turn up. Mm, when you get married if it's the one you want and it's all it's cracked up to be there will be ipithumia passions the desire but he says it's the desire of the flesh and in the bible the flesh means the natural you without the spirit of God coming in and changing you remember what Jesus told the most religious man at the time a man by the name of Nicodemus (laughs) he said you must be born again why right now you're flesh but you need spirit And so what he's saying is the desires of the flesh is the desires that come naturally. Just be born, just grow up, just do life, and never have the Spirit of God come in you through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he says the desires of the flesh are in you. And without the Spirit coming in you, you will just desire what people desire because that's what people desire. And it's not always bad. It's just that because it's flesh, it ultimately will join the world. And the world will ultimately take us off the tracks because the world is under the evil one and he lives on, I mean, off the tracks. Mark 7 says it this way. Go ahead in Jesus Christ. You can eat pork now. You know why? Why? Because eating pork is not the problem, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out of you. Because your flesh is packed with stuff that doesn't have anything to do with God. Look what he says in Mark 7, just not jot, jot it down, look at it when you go home. From within, out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceitful, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. He could have kept going. It's like a pinata. You just open up the flesh and out come all these things. (laughs) And he says all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You see, the flesh, apart from the Spirit of God moving in and rearranging the furniture, killing the old you and raising up a new you that doesn't come packed with this, but comes packed with inclination for God. He says, all this in the world is the stuff that comes naturally. You need something that comes spiritually. No, oh, He says, the desires of the eyes. One translation says the lust of the flesh and the, 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 the lust of the eyes or the desires of the eyes. A strong pull to look at something God says don't look at or look at things the way God says don't look at them. He says, oh, the world is always looking at things I say don't look at. Of course, that, that goes with pornography. But how about those things that, they, that slip past our radar on TikTok? How about those things that's on IG? Ouch, I'm stepping on my own toes. The worlds, look they look at things a certain way because they don't have what? The Spirit of God giving them Christ's vision. Oh, the Bible says that Eve looked at the fruit and said, "Mm, mm -mm." Now I've seen all these trees, but something about this one right here. And it was the one God said, don't eat. There's a man by the name of Lot in Genesis. It says when he was asked, choose which place you want to live and I'll just take the leftovers. It says he looked up and saw the lush green of Sodom. And he went based on the physical eyes of lushness. Oh, but those eyes led him to Sodom. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah ultimately. Even a godly man named Samuel went to anoint a king. And when he went to anoint a king, he saw a man that was tall, I guess, dark and handsome. Let's just, let's just make him dark. <laughs> and he said, surely, this is the Lord's anointed. And let's just say David was short, dark, and handsome. <laughs> Certainly wasn't king looking because his father didn't bring him to be considered to be a king And God said, see, I don't look like man looks. Man looks at the outer appearance, but I look at the heart. In other words, the world has the pride or the lust of the eyes. It sees things that God said, don't look. And it it sees things the way God says, don't look at it that way. Israel said, we want a king. I'm your king. Uh Uh-uh, like the nations. We want the king like the nations. I mean, that's nice and all. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, which he calls the boasting of what a man has and does. Something about having stuff and wanting people to know you have it. In the hood, we clown us because we couldn't have it, so when we can have it, you know it. (laughs) The sound system will blast your ears off. What up, homie? The car is all iced out, pimped out. And you have like $3 in your pocket, but your ride will not be missed. You'll step out. You'll have some, 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 some something on that, you know, doesn't look like you wouldn't know I have $3 by looking at what I have on the outside. That's us. We want you to see it. Then some millionaire will come by, some Ford Explorer. Hey, guys, can you tell me where the ATM is? Something about... Our communities, we, our boasts are different. <laughs> now, they got boasts too, I'm just saying. Their boast is through excess. But I'm saying, the pride of life can be just the quiet, hey, look at me. Nebuchadnezzar looking around saying, look what I made. The Titanic, which was the marvel of its day. Somebody on deck said, God couldn't sink this ship. No need, an iceberg will do. (laughs) And in contrast, Peter, when he blows people's mind because he heals a man at the gate beautiful in Acts 3, he started noticing that they were looking at him and the pride of life probably started creeping up. He said, oh, oh, down boy, down boy. Hold on, don't think it's our power or our piety that made this man uh, walk. No, 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 God is honoring Jesus. You see, the Christian has a desire to let people know good things about them, but they don't, want, they don't say, look at me. They say, look through me so you can see the source of it all. <laughs> I know who I am. I'm just the moon. I have no light. <laughs> I just reflect the light of the sun. Amen? And so he says, this is what's in the world, and it is passing away. It's temporal. It's temporal. Before Pandora... At Disney World, Magic Kingdom, whatever, wherever it is, I stopped going to amusement parks. I'm tired of waiting in three-hour lines for a 30, three-minute thrill, two-minute, two-and-a-half, one. I don't know. feels like 30 seconds. In other words, if something is passing away, you don't put much stock in it, let alone wait three hours for it. Now, Pandora did get me. And if you don't know what that is, go look at it. And go and get excited, like me. For him to say, Don't love it, is hard, isn't it? Because the world is so easy to love. <laughs> Your favorite artists fall in the world category, favorite antics. But he says all of this is antithetical to the Father. He says if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It's just a cold word for if you love the world, you're not a good Christian if you're a Christian at all. You may not know this, but there was this guy by the name of Nas. Nobody ever heard of him, but one time in this one song and one love, he kind of captures this, right? He's talking to his friend. <laughs> he says, Yeah, you're sure he don't care. She a snake too. Messing with them fake dudes from that fake crew that hates you. <laughs> what he was saying is, how is your girl in your corner if she's messing with the group that doesn't like you? <laughs> That's what he said. He said, How are you in love with the world when the world can't stand the father? <laughs> I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying John says, Beware of your love for the world. And worldliness, the ongoing continual affection and chiming in and being okay with being in the room with the world looking like everything is peachy because what they do, I do. And even if you convince yourself, no, I'm not here, I don't do it, I'm just in the room. But watch it because it's subtle. The heart becomes worldly and you don't even know it. I'm with you. I'm not judging you. I agree with Piper to use him again. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things. There's no room for the great. How about this one? If you like that one. The greatest enemy for the hunger of the father is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked. That dulls our appetite for heaven. It's the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the x-rated video, but the prime time drivel of triviality we drink in every night. And this is way before Twitter, so it's we got it moment by moment. The world is passing away. Worldliness. Beware of worldliness. Move on. Beware of Antichrist. Antichrist. 18 to 23. Children, it's the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, they all are not of us. First of all, he says it's the last hour. You know, the history is really about hours, hours. History is about hours. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, my hour hasn't come. Because up until then, all history was waiting for the moment when Jesus flipped the script. All of history was moving, what? Counting down, right? We go from 3000 BC all the way down to what? 3 AD. Wait, how do we go down? Because history was going downhill (laughs) until the Lord Jesus came. And history pivoted oh we went from before Christ to in the year of our Lord when he came and so now the next hour is when he's going to return and so when Jesus went to heaven he said now it's the last hour it would be like saying in a basketball game or in a football game uh, that has two halves okay we're in the last part we're in the last hour like th- this is it After this, we're not going to have a halftime and an intermission, go in the locker room and come back. The next thing when this clock runs out will be who wins. So the last hour. He says, it's the last hour. And you know what happens when people can feel we better turn up. Ain't enough time on the clock. They start doing things that they didn't do before. They start hustling. They start tackling harder. They start playing with more vigor. Well, that's what Satan does. Satan knows it's the last hour, so I better turn up my emptiness. You've heard Antichrist is coming. There's probably a dominant, single, like Antichrist, some opposition that's coming in a very climatic way at the end. But he says, don't wait for the end Antichrist, the, the ultimate Antichrist. He says, so now many Antichrists have come. The spirit that's going to be embodied. And again, some, so, so, some singular entity. He says, that spirit is already at work. Antichrist is the one who opposes Christ. In chapter 4, he's going to say it. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. To reject Jesus is the spirit of Antichrist. To hurt Jesus is the spirit of Antichrist. To hurt those who are in Jesus is the spirit of Antichrist. He goes on to talk about a group. He says, they went out from us. Because they were not among us. He ties the people to Antichrist. This is a group that was in John's day. Theological language, we call them the secessionists. Not cessationists. (laughs) The secessionists. They seceded. They left. These are people who were in the church. They looked like the church. They probably had standing in the church. People had relationships in the church. And one day, they did not believe what the church taught about Jesus. So they started to try to win the church to change the church. And when they tried to change the church, eventually the church didn't budge or they got who they got and they left the church. And so he says, well, there's a grief and a grace to this leaving the church. The grief, they went out from us. They used to be here. It hurts to lose people like that. It hurts to lose people you share theology with. People you did ministry with, people that you had fellowship with. It hurts. It's a grief. But he says, but it's God's grace to you because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But they went out so that it would become plain that they were not of us because if they really were us, they would have remained with us. Oh, now this is tough. This is tough. There's a deep connection between the church and Christ and his people. The Bible doesn't even know a person who leaves church and has a relationship with God on the dolo and just stays detached from church. There's no, like, that's not a category in the Bible. People who are off in a prison cell are like, I can't wait to get back and see y'all. The psalmist said, oh, what I would do to be in the house of the Lord. I wish I was a bird and I could just fly and just sit on the ledge and like, oh, there they go, there they go, there they go. And so what happened is these people left, but they didn't just leave the church. Oh, the church hurt me. I'm leaving. I'm going to go find me a sound church. They didn't go find a sound church. They went to establish a more suitable church. So, you know, when somebody uses a good reason to diss the church only to go and find something that's not a church or create a version of church that's not a sound version of church it's quiet in here I only got a few more minutes but that's all right <clears throat> one time I was with someone they came to me they're Christian grew up Christian all their life from what I could tell they're Christians they were Christians and they came to me and they said I'm hanging with a dude in my crew and he doesn't believe in the Trinity." Father, Son, and Spirit. He's actually making converts of his anti-Trinitarian view. I said, to not understand the Trinity is one thing. To not embrace it because you don't understand it, that's one thing. To understand what the Trinity is saying and to reject it is another. And then to disciple people in that errant rejection is another. I said, why is this your dude? Why is this your crew? Why are you calling me about what to do with him when you're letting him tell people not to believe what you believe as though that belief is sort of like, ah, eh, if you believe that, then you do. And if you don't, no. It's antichrist to mess with Christology <laughs> in particular because he's going to say that if you mess with the son, you don't get the father. The one who has the son has the father, and whoever does not have the father has the son. So he says, let me tell you what you need. You need the anointing. Don't you like this one? I'm filled with anointing. Through mountains and valleys. So if you're like from certain theological, you don't like the word anointing. You come from other theological ways. You like that's what I'm saying. The anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing makes the difference in my life. Well, what is the anointing? (laughs) The anointing here is the, the. It's a way of saying that the Holy Spirit, symbolized by oil, who is the consecrator, who takes you away from the world and gives you to the Lord Jesus. Like oil used to signify, this Levite is now priest. (laughs) This priest is not just a regular Levite. He's now something additional. He's something special. This David is now king. He's from Judah, but he's now more than just Jesse's son. He's king. He's been anointed to be king. Samuel, you are anointed to be prophet. In other words, you would get taken aside from common use, and you would be made for special use, and you would be gods. Well, when the Holy Spirit came, Joel chapter 2, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and everybody will prophesy, sons and daughters, servants and so- so- Slaves and people in authority will all display that I have anointed them to be my own. So he's saying to the congregation, don't fall for the okie doke about Jesus because you've been given the anointing, which is the Holy Spirit. You know what the Spirit does? He says, you have all knowledge. The Spirit gives you the right information about Jesus. And I know what we're saying. Well, explain why the guy who had the Spirit got Jesus wrong. Well, we're going to get to that. 21, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is the truth. In other words, he says this, verse 22, who is the liar? Let's talk about where they get Jesus wrong. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the father and the son. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. Listen, he says, your false Christology betrays that you don't have the anointing. (laughs) You don't have the real Jesus because you don't have the spirit who is the way you get the real Jesus. He says, first of all, who is the liar? Earlier, he says, if you say you walk in the truth, but you don't live like it, you're a liar right? Oh, he says, so he knows how to call people a liar. It's only here that he calls them the liar. In other words, this is the quintessential lie, the lie that messes with who Christ is and his relationship to the Father. Listen, it says that Jesus is the Christ. John had an opponent in his day. One of them was a guy by the name of Serenthus. Serenthus, Serenthus was a false teacher who taught that Jesus was a man on him at baptism and off of him during the cross came like a dove the Holy Spirit of Christ. So Jesus was a regular man who grew up, and then when he came on the scene and got the Spirit, the, the Christ came on him. So Jesus was not the Christ, Jesus was a man on whom the Christ rested. And then when he died, the Christ left. Because the Christ is not going to let you manhandle him and put him on a cross, because the Christ leaves, and then the man Jesus, his flesh was on the cross. That was a popular teaching. In other words, that Jesus is not God in the flesh, that Jesus was the flesh, God came on top of him, left him, and then the flesh went and died. You say, we don't believe things like that. Well, that guy that didn't believe in the Trinity— One day I got on the phone with him. He said, Oh, Ambassador, I really appreciate you. I was like, Oh, okay, that's what's up. And then we got to talking about Jesus being God in the flesh. He said, Well, Jesus wasn't God in the flesh all the time because Jesus wasn't the God wasn't on the cross. I said, God man was on the cross dying for the sins of sinners. He said, Can you believe it? Come on, man. He believed that God died for sins. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Jesus was from Nazareth, but Jesus who was from Nazareth is the Christ. But then he says, whoever doesn't confess the, uh, when uh, when you deny, excuse me, he says, he, this is the antichrist who denies the father and the son no one who denies the son has the father so he calls him not only the christ he says the christ is the son to be the son is to be god again i have a son in the audience he's no less human than me somebody says hey you're the son like what are you kind of animal are you what are you like plant what do you No, i'm his son of course i'm human the Lord Jesus says I'm the son I'm of the same essence of the father and he says and if you deny the son you don't get the father no one who denies the son has the father whoever confesses the son has the father also the Lord Jesus is so inextricably tied to the father and the spirit of God that you can't deny the son and get the father and you can't deny the father so look There are people who reject Jesus as Lord, but they claim that Yahweh is their father. They don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, who is the only way to the father. They don't believe that God has a son. They think they just get the father. And this is saying you don't get the father. There's no way to even have the father except through the son. But they're they're so connected, they're so one, the triunity of God. I know this is a lot today, I'm almost finished. But I'm telling you here, a bad Christology is equal to a bad theology. Christ study leads you to a right God study. And he says, no son, no father, beware of antichrist. And most Christians worship Jesus because they believe that God came in the flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us. They believe that. Beware of worldliness, being on the wrong team. It's antithetical with the Father and his love. Beware of antichrist. It's a whole system and a whole group of people who would love to mess with Jesus, mess up Jesus, and then mess up the very church. They went out, no doubt, messing with the chemistry of the church because of their abandonment of sound doctrine. And then lastly, beware of drifting Verse 24, what you have learned from the beginning, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. It's been said that drifting happens through a process. One generation asserts the gospel and everybody is built up by it. The next generation just assumes the gospel. I mean, I didn't have to say it. You kind of know. Come on, man, we gospel. You know how it is. You assume the gospel. And then the next generation abandons the gospel. Gospel? What really is the gospel? Come on now. The Bible teaches that you must let what you heard in the beginning abide in you. This is the gospel. <laughs> The way you came to Jesus is good news. I'm a sinner, but God loved me. He sent his son Jesus to die. Jesus' death could be what it could be because he is God. And the only reason why he took on flesh was so he could die as God for the sins of humanity. But because he is God and because he is actually sinless, but he only was standing in the place of sinners, he gets up from the grave and he ascends to heaven at the right hand and he lives forevermore. He says, beware of drifting from that. But you gotta understand the characters. You gotta understand who the sinner is. You gotta understand who the enemy is. You have to understand who the sender is, the Father. You have to understand who the Son is, the Son. You have to understand what the Spirit does. He opens your eyes to receive the gospel. The Bible says you won't check for Jesus without the Spirit of God coming. Nicodemus, he said, you must be born of the Spirit. What are you talking about? He says, well, you don't see the wind, but you see the, 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 the ruffling of the leaves. You know the Spirit is there. He says, so is everyone born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God you can't see moves on you. He comes out there right now, and somebody's like, I never really was into Jesus, but for some reason today I feel something. Some of you are like, I started getting a little tired of Jesus, but right now I'm kind of amped, and it's not just because he's sweating It's because I'm like, this is true. The father gave his son, and the son is equal to the father. They're not the same. They sit in community. The Bible says he was face-to-face in eternity with his father. Jesus prayed. He said, Father, give me the glory I had with you before the world began. We believe in a trinity. You have to believe in a trinity. Guy recently said, well, you know, God's multidimensional. I said, yeah, but John is clear. There's the Father, there's the Son, not multi-dimensions. The Father, and he said, if you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Now, if it was multi-dimensional, the Father is the Son. So, if you have the Father, you have the Son. No! The triune God, don't let it blow your mind, but go home and say, I got to get serious about theology, Christian theology. And he says, let that good news abide in you. You heard it at the beginning. Then you too will abide. You won't leave. You won't leave. You won't leave Christ. You won't leave sound doctrine. And you won't leave the community of faith where sound doctrine is the key principle. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. This is the key to you living forever. You can't go and live forever with God and reject the way that he has provided And this is what he says, don't drift, beware of drifting. Let me hit you with this when you go home, just scribble this, Hebrews 3.14. Hebrews 3.14, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, if for real, for real, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I know what we're saying, yeah, but I'm telling you, my man, he he believed and now he doesn't, but you know, I, I find it hard to believe that he doesn't really believe. You, you know when you believed rightly. If you hold it. 1 Corinthians 15:1 and 2, put it down and chew on it when you go home. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, what you heard at the beginning, which you received. Yeah, you, you believed it. In which you stand. Yeah, you in it. And by which you are being saved. It's doing what it should do. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. Beware of the drift. Mark 13:13. Yeah, you're, you're gonna be hated by men for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is a teaching. We do believe you can't lose genuine salvation. Our problem is we don't know when the salvation is genuine until you endure. If you buy a gold chain. And it's gold for 20 years. It probably won't fade year 21. But if it does, you'll say, they got me. You're not going to say, no, it was gold. It's just that it's not today. Beware of the drift. Beware of the drift. Blueprint. Satan doesn't want blueprint. And it doesn't mean that if you have troubles in churches and you switch churches, that means you've defected from the faith. But there is a connection between the soundness of our theology, the soundness of our worship, the soundness of our Christ-centeredness, and the warmth of our fellowship. And the fact that when you leave these doors, if you were to go to something different or something that's not, it says something else about you and the church. Because the warning f- for the people of God is beware of worldliness. It'll take your heart away from God. Beware of Antichrist. He and they are against the things that God cares for most deeply, chief being Christ and his church. And beware of drifting, starting with the gospel, and then saying, ah. Eh. And going to something else. 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I'm finished. But the anointing, there it is again, that you receive from him abides in you. There it is. The spirit of God remains in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. In other words, you don't have to, you don't have to find some better doctrine. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as you were taught in him, abide in him. Don't drift, gang. I conclude, will the real Jesus please stand up? Wait, there's eight of them, nine of them, a whole line of them. There's all kinds of them. Is it the one with dreads or the blonde head? The one with blue eyes or the one hanging between those two guys? Or the one that they say is just a prophet, nothing special. He's just the one before Muhammad. Or the archangel or the man healing on TV or the other cat that led masses up to D.C.? Or is he the incarnate God of all creation, Lord of all the nations, the sovereign, even the boss of Satan, the one making the whirlwind, keeping tornadoes twirling while he's getting it on in the whirlwind? He made the sheep that made the fur for your shirling, even made the oysters that made your pearls in. Matter of fact, he made your boy or your girlfriend strong enough to put Jupiter on a bar and start curling. This one seems to be fit in the true description of the one that gets in hearts and then convicts them. You should pick him because he conquered crucifixion. He took a licking, but I tell you, he kept on ticking. I live and die for what I believe in. Represent the truth of God's word every season. Since we're the reason for his bleeding, let's represent him to the day we stop breathing. Consider that a warning. Heavenly Father. Thank you for your ability to remind us of what your word says. Somebody in here is stirred. Some stirred to frustration. Others are stirred to affection. Thank you for your double-edged sword. Do work for the sake of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.